welcome to another weekly edition of Give Him Hell, Bring Him, the podcast, as opposed to the newsletter. Uh, Jeff is not with us today. He, for the third time in the last 12 months, is headed up to Glacier, and I don't really know why he likes that place so much. I mean, Glacier is beautiful. It's, you know, it's up there. Montana is great. I love it. It is a great place to be, uh, but it's a long drive from Idaho. I think actually if I, or a long drive through Idaho, rather, um, if if I were to go there, I could probably get there faster from Arizona because I can actually fly up there out of on Allegiant out of Mesa, where Jeff just has to make that long trek. It's like nine and a half hours in the car with his three kids up there to Glacier. And I just don't know if it's really worth it, but this is probably going to be a weird episode. I admit that I am a little bit nervous about it just because I have not done a solo episode before. Jeff has been the solo guy twice for different reasons. And, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't done them before. He told me that he needed a little bit more of an agenda. There's no one to pick up the slack when we get wild hair ideas and we start Googling during the show. He, you know, he is, I'm more of the one that typically keeps us focused. Whereas he is the one that gets way off track and he adds the flavor and I keep it reined in just enough that this whole thing doesn't fall apart. So we really do play off each other. And I'm, I'm a little nervous because I think his, what he brings to the table lends itself to the solo show a little bit better, but anyways, we're going to see how this goes. Um, we got a couple things up here on our agenda. First thing, speaking, going back to Allegiant, um, Allegiant is adding two new flights out of Provo. So they are now flying to Palm Springs, which I don't know, maybe there's that many retired people that in the winter are trying to fly down to Palm Springs from Provo, but they're also adding a flight to Houston. So I don't know if that's just because the sheer number of members that are moving down to Texas from other places, but I think we can probably conclude that this is definitive Big 12 smoke and BYU and Houston can, are going to expect an invite to the Big 12 any day now. And it is definitely 3000% going to happen. Um, speaking of the Big 12, uh, I did also want to just take a look at our favorite resident uh, Big 12 aficionados. And I don't know why we discussed this. I don't know why there's two of these with are uh, both the West Virginia guys. So apparently all information, all hashtag sources related to the Big 12. They don't go through Austin. They don't go through Norman. They don't go through Stillwater or Dallas or Waco or anywhere else in the league. It's all about Morgantown, that school out on an island that showed up nine years ago, whatever it was, has no real historical ties to the league. That, my friends, that is where all of the sources come from. And maybe it's just because people think like, oh, I don't know, we, uh, you know, maybe they think, oh, no one pays attention to West Virginia, so we can blab a little bit. But it, it, let's look, take a look at MHV or three or MH version three. We still haven't decided what that was and what the dude of West Virginia I have subjected myself to this by following their accounts, so you don't have to because both of them locked down, so you can't really see them from time to time. Uh, MHV3 is saying that they have the Pac-12 presidents have met together and have voted unanimous, unanimously to research a merger potential with the Big 12. Um, they've also said that uh, it is basically a slam dunk that West Virginia will be going to the ACC, who that is with. Who knows? Um, let's see uh, that West Virginia is actually a huge national brand and brings lots of eyeballs. Um, that's from MHV or three. Actually, both of them have been saying that. Um, but MHV or three says 
historical ratings of our old rivalry games are the driving force of why we have a network in our corner. Let's prove them right this year when the Hokies come to town. So basically, everything that ESPN decides to do is dependent on a game between Virginia Tech and West Virginia in Morgantown. And if the numbers are good for that game, then it is a slam dunk, my friends, a slam dunk that ESPN is going to add the West Virginia Mountaineers. And I just don't get it. I don't know why people keep following this guy in thinking, um, you know, this is what's going to happen. So he also said, so I was wrong. There is fire to KU, Kansas, to Big 12 rumors or Big 10 rumors. Uh, Pac-12 may be the only losing two now or maybe even zero. The networks are at war with each other and ESPN is womaning. More and more Big 12, so the eight schools minus the one to three that are leaving, gravitating to a merger of some type with the Pac-12 minus one, zero to two. So basically he is now saying that the Big 10 is going to make a play at the big name brands in the college, you know, in the Pac-12, you know, which has been floated that they're supposedly interested in USC, UCLA, Cal and Stanford, either that group of four or possibly, uh, you know, USC and Stanford, just because they're the private schools, they can do what they want and go over there or looking at USC, Stanford, Oregon and Washington. Some kind, some kind of combination of those have been floated out in the last few weeks. Um, they, but apparently Kansas is on par with those. Obviously, Kansas is a great basketball school. Big Ten cares about basketball. But really, and then he's saying that the leftovers of the Big 12 will merge with the leftovers of the Pac-10. And that, that honestly, if that comes to that point, probably would happen because it would be the kind of the leftovers uh, banding together to try to say, you know, we're stronger together. And that could actually make some sense. Um, but I think what the key thing here with these guys is they kind of paint this picture of here's all the different things that are going to happen. And then they, they kind of give little nuggets and you can draw natural conclusions of where it's going to lead. Right. Like if you think, Oh, the irate eight or little eight or leftover eight, whatever you want to call those schools, uh, left in the big 12. If you say, if those eight schools lose three more and the pack 12 loses a couple, and now you're looking at, you know, okay, well, here's kind of these, the stepchildren of the P5. It would make sense for them to band together and their university presidents to just say, well, let's just stick together and write it out and see what we can figure out. And so, especially if you're looking at those eight schools from the Big 12, if they lost three of them and are down to five, they can't even function as a conference. So they have to find somewhere. And if the Pac 12 loses three schools, then it's like, okay, well, we can take nine and five. We have a 14 team league that covers everywhere from Texas West and, you know, we are there. And so that would make sense, but there's still, if you go on other message boards, like the thing is it's all of these schools that are the left outs. That is where all the talk is coming from. Nobody's talking about this, except for if you look at the USC thing, every time anything related to the big 12 gets brought up, USC fans say, this is trash. This is garbage. We need to get out of the pac 12 because they don't want anything to do with them. Um, so it's really interesting to follow and see. Let's hop on over to the dude of West Virginia, Christopher Lambert. Now he has been more adamant that the ESPN is going to invite, um, that ESPN is probably going to invite the West Virginia and it is a slam dunk deal. But now he is saying again, now he's kind of backtracking this a bit. And he says, 
the ACC and Pac-12 are nervous. They don't think the SEC is done, and they don't believe the Big Ten is going to sit by and watch the SEC monopolize college football. So the SEC can try all they want, and we've talked about this, but it's you can't expanding for expansion's sake. That's done. That's gone, right? Like the Big Ten did that with Rutgers in Maryland back when carriage thing fees were much more of a big thing. Everyone is streaming now. The future, yes, cable is still a thing, but it is fading. And people eventually, like if you're planning for the future, you need to be ahead of the game and you need to care about brand and following, not necessarily, you know, what market are you going to add? But the SEC, the Big Ten isn't going to turn around and add, you know, Texas Tech and Iowa State for the sake of getting to 14 teams. Um, or sorry, 16 teams. You know, they're going to, they're, if they add someone, it's going to be a brand that brings value and can increase over things. Or, you know, maybe the SEC does look and say, hey, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, you guys interested in coming down and we just do a 30 team, you know, maybe they push and go to 30 teams and just, and, and USC gets in on that. And like, there's two West Coast teams and say, hey, we're just going to do this and make an actual professional league. Maybe that happens. I don't know. And maybe I don't think it's going to happen right away. But he's also saying, uh, he says, every Big 12 program has reached out to and been contacted by another Pyro 5 conference to gauge interest. Um, the also, let's see, do, oh, he has gone from saying that this will all happen very quickly to all Mountaineer fans just need to put this whole thing aside until football season is over because nothing is going to happen that rashly. Um, in, in that quickly. Uh, so he says, what I do know though, is that West Virginia has broad-based support in the ACC and two or three champions working from the inside Clemson, Virginia tech and Pitt are doing whatever they can to help West Virginia. So Pitt wants to help their best friend out. You know, the backyard brawl is one of the best rivalries in college football that is missing, but it's all of the, everyone is championing all these teams that did not care and give a damn about adding West Virginia a decade ago. Now they're all saying we need West Virginia in the ACC folks. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why people keep thinking that these guys have all these inside knowledge, because when you look at them, they are nobody. It's not like, you know, if you could see somebody that is maybe they live a little bit of a posh lifestyle, you know, you think, Oh, they're a big fan. They they've got some connections. Maybe they've got money. They're a big booster but not these guys, right? Like it's, you look at them and they're kind of, you know, they're like us, just a, they're just random guys. You know, maybe, maybe they had a class with someone who is a former player. I don't even know if they're alumni of the university of West Virginia or West Virginia university, whatever they call it, but don't, don't pay them too much attention. We will do our part here. I give them help Brigham to give you just the juiciest tidbits, the most ridiculous in the wild. And honestly, it really all comes from them. I've looked at other message boards. Like I've hopped around the big 12 message boards. I've looked at the pack 12 stuff and really there's nothing coming from anywhere other than those guys. And you have the national media writers. Uh, Dennis Dodd is very plugged into the pack 12 and the big 12, especially in their workings. Um, he, um, he did famously also, well, not famously, many of you don't know this, but in 2016, during the last discussions with, you know, major discussions between BYU and the Big 12, uh, Dennis Dodd did DM Robbie McCombs and tell him that if BYU gets invited to the Big 12, then he is definitely going to be the short, starting shortstop for the Yankees. So if we see Dennis Dodd get added to the 40-man roster of the Yankees anytime soon, then we know they're a serious movement. But he has been reporting on this, and he has way more sources than these random guys do. And he's saying, you know, everyone in the Big 12 that's left, basically, 
their best option is to stand pat. They need to band together and just kind of ride this out. It is kind of a prisoner's dilemma of who can find a landing spot first, but none of the other leagues are going to act quickly and make brash decisions because, you know, if you piss USC off and that's your anchor team of the PAC 12 and they're mad because now they're subsidizing someone else, they may just leave. And then you are in a worse off position. Like the PAC 12 is worse at 14 teams without USC than it would be at 12 with them, right? That is just that they, that brand accounts, you know, it is that brand in Oregon and to some extent, Washington, those two are to the PAC 12, what Texas and Oklahoma were to the big 12. And so they need to keep them happy at all costs. And that's, and ultimately that's going to be priority number one for the PAC 12 when this is all said and done for the rest of these other schools, you know, they may say, Hey, yes, you're not going to get to ride that gravy train as more, but where Dodd was saying initially was saying uh, projections are going to come in around 9 million. Now he's saying maybe closer to 20. And if you add some good, bigger name brands with better followings, like the Cincinnati or, you know, the Cincinnati's, the BYU's, the UCF's, the Memphis's, you know, you can that have a good national appeal and can create a fun league. Maybe you get back up to 25 or 30. Is it the $40 million that they got this last year with Texas and Oklahoma there? No. Is it a lot closer to what the PAC 12 is currently getting USC and Oregon included? under their current media rights deal. Yes. And so it will be interesting to see how that can happen. Um, You know, and it's money isn't everything, but it obviously is a lot because if you look at what these schools are doing that are left in the big 12 and the money that they have, you know, you look at the UCFs and the Cincinnati's they're doing it all with much less and TV money is just one revenue stream, right? If you look at a school like UCF, they've got 50,000 students and a growing alumni base. If they can capitalize and turn them into donors, then they can, you know, their money stream, when you look at holistically, yes, maybe the money is a little less, but overall revenue, TV money is less, but overall revenue wise, they may be keeping up and if they can get a little more in there. And so it's not, and it's not always everything, right? Like it's yes, money buys facilities and does different things. But also if you have a donor, if you have donors who are big in construction and willing to donate a building, the money doesn't matter. If you have donors who say, Hey, we want a new scoreboard. You don't have to pay for that new scoreboard if you get your marked money. So there is more to it than money and they shouldn't, I don't think these schools should, you know, it's, you don't want to, you shouldn't fret over $5 million. I know that sounds like an insane amount of money, but if you're talking about, oh, well, we could maybe get $35 million and be in a slightly unstable place or get $30 million and be very stable. Obviously that $30 million is the much better grab. So it's not going to get resolved anytime soon. Um, by all public reports, Texas and Oklahoma are still planning on being in the Big 12 for the next five seasons. They haven't, the legalese hasn't started yet of, you know, filing suit and getting, figuring out the money. Um, and so until, really until that pressure gets put on, it makes sense for those remaining eight schools to stand, stand pat because they don't want to invite someone else in to split the pie uh, and to, until they have to. They don't want to leave early because if they leave early, then they have to pay their own exit fees. And those other schools can't afford to pay $75 million. It's just not in their budget for them. And they're most of them don't have, you know, most of them don't have the donor money to pony up a, uh, you know, to pony up just a, a one-off thing for that, especially if it's going to like the PAC 12 or something like that. You know, if it's getting into the sec, you can, you can get that, you can get that hype. You can build the train, whatever, into the big 10, you could probably make that happen, but going to the ACC or the PAC 12, that probably just, it's going to be a hard time to generate that excitement needed to make that happen. Um, so that's all we're going to talk about with that today. Um, I know we're all tired of alignment. 
uh, it has been going. We just wanted to give a weekly update. Um, we have not, and if you have not joined us yet, um, we haven't had too much alignment talk. It is a great place. Uh, please draw, hop onto our Discord server. Um, if you go to givehemhelpbrigham.com, uh, right on our homepage, you will see there will be both a sign-up link where you can sign up for our newsletter, either paid or free, um, and it is a free newsletter. And then there's a link there at the top of the page that says Discord. If you click on that, it's going to invite you to join our Discord server. Now, if you use Teams or you use Slack or you use uh, you know, Skype, I don't think Skype is around. It's been killed for Teams. Um, but if you use anything like that of Teams or Slack, you know, those are the two most common ones for chatting in the workplace. You'll be very familiar with Discord. Um, we've got, you know, you can join multiple servers. So if you want to find different groups to talk to, you can. But in our, in our server, we've got channels for BYU sports. We've got channels for national sports. We got a chance for job posting and job hunting uh, to help each other out. We've got college sports. We've got pro sports. Um, and we have BYU specific things in general things. Uh, we're up to, uh, let's see, we just rolled over 50 members today. Um, there's, you know, there's our uh, tried and trues, like we see you in there, uh, Brayden Day and Derek Miles, and of course, Corley Ward, uh, Mike Polson. Um, I don't, Jared, uh, Jared, he, his handle in there is that is Jared, the Cougar fan. So I'm not sure. Uh, I don't remember what his last name is, but we have our, you know, our tried and trues, the, we call Jeff and I jokingly call them the Jeffites, um, you know, kind of, you know, Ben Curdle talks about the Mitchites when Mitch was, uh, over at ESPN 960. Uh, but it's, we have our tried and true people who, uh, um, are very active on 24 seven and their response has been from everyone who's joined the discord that it is a much better community experience. And so we've had some people asking kind of what the difference is between, the newsletter and what we've got at 24 seven, uh, you know, we will have tidbits in the newsletter, obviously, but the newsletter is geared towards the community, right? Like we're going to have the off-brand stuff. We're going to have the fun stuff, the wild stuff. Uh, we, the discord is going to be kind of is primarily tied to the newsletter. Whereas, you know, the articles on 24 seven, that will be more of, uh, you know, be more of the things that 24 seven expects from us in terms of like, you you know, talking about a specific commit, different players, and also, you know, maybe some more of the, there'll be a, a good amount of the kind of insider information. We're going to put the insider information in both because obviously that's what people want, but it, we need to keep that relationship with 24 seven alive just because, you know, that does add some clout as we, you know, as you do try to talk to people, especially as you try to talk to recruits um, that does having the 24 seven relationship allows us to get media credentials. Um, and so, you know, in our respective states to cover high school sports. And so there is, there's still a lot of value there. So it's, um, we do have a discount if you are a 24, if you are part of 24 seven, um, and do also want to sign up for the paid version of the newsletter as well. Again, for the whole month of August, we are running everything for free just to give people a taste. Um, and then we will kind of have some of those, um, you know, we'll get on a, some VIP, some free schedule, um, to kind of compensate the time that Jeff, the immense amount of time that Jeff has put into this. So come check us out again. Let's go to givehemhellbrigham.com, click on discord. And if you click on the store button or hop over to store.givehemhellbrigham.com, you can see that we inked our first NIL deal. So that's pretty cool. Um, we worked with Carl Sokia um, at Ohana X. Ohana X is the kind of marketing agency that the majority of players at BYU have signed with to represent them. Um, Carl is a great guy and he's, you know, navigated these NIL and everything that happened. He's got a close relationship with the university and compliance, making sure we do everything above board with what the NCAA wants. Um, so Lorenzo Fauatea 
is the first Give em Hell athlete. And so he is our official on-field Hellion. Uh, we have a shirt for him, um, a specifically designed for uh, Lorenzo and everything, every penny that we make above cost, like all of the net, net profit from every single Lorenzo Fawatea shirt that we have will go directly to him. Um, and so if you go on our website, you can see the Zoe, it's on there in a variety of colors. Um, you can go ahead and order those. It's going it, to, it's, it's a great design. Uh, Jeff and Lorenzo worked on it together and it was something that Lorenzo wanted. Um, and he was really excited to be our first guy. Um, and so we don't know how long this will last. Uh, there's, you know, there is a chance that maybe some other bigger brand comes in and wants to do an exclusive deal with all players or whatever. But in the meantime, you can hop on to the store and you are not supporting us. If you buy the shirt, you are supporting Lorenzo directly. Um, so go hop on and give that a whirl. And, uh, you know, you can get yourself a, some, you know, some ex player exclusive gear. And that's pretty cool when you think about it in the history of college football, that's something that hasn't been able to happen before, right? Like all these guys, uh, you know, that's something that we just haven't, um, you know, that's something that we haven't been able to do and really been able to see, um, really been able to see happen. And be just because of all the name image and likeness deals and whether you think that a scholarship is enough or not, somebody should be able to, you know, if you slap your name on something and someone thinks you're cool, you should probably get paid for it. And so it's, it's great that we have that. Um, we do have oh, a handful, you know, uh, we have a good handful of these, uh, of these shirts that have sold. So go again, that's givemhelbergham.com. Click on store. You can see the Lorenzo Fawatea shirt and we're excited for Zoe. He's going to have a big year. He's healthy and he's ready to get after the quarterback. Um, you know, news out of fall camp has been pretty slow. Um, you can read into things. I think it's pretty clear now that Jaron Hall is QB one. Um, he is, you know, he's, he's slowed down. He's doing everything. I just, I feel like I need to slow down. I, my mind is racing. I'm, you know, or I'm, I'm, I'm talking a little quick, you know, kind of getting that fast city slicker voice going and uh, I need to slow it down a little bit. Uh, but as we go into fall camp, uh, Jaron Hall is number one. Um, on the depth chart, I think we've seen the biggest tell of that is that from all reports, he has been getting times with the ones and hasn't been spending any time with the twos or the threes where Baylor Romney and Jacob Conover, they're getting a little bit of run with the ones, but then they're also both splitting time. They're doing a lot of work with the twos and threes and they're flipping flopping days, right? Like some days Conover's with the twos and Baylor's with the threes. Other days it's flipped, but the majority, the vast majority of reps with the ones are going to Jaron Hall. And he's just got that look, right? Like it's, um, you know, my friend Danny Holmgren texted me the other day and Jaron had his first post-practice interview and he was like oh that's our quarterback and he said look at the gold chain you know jaron he's got the mustache coming in he's got the gold chain around his neck he's got just that little bit of swagger that you expect and if he comes out and you see that first step that first snap if he spins the ball in his hand that's when you know a qb is on it right you when the qb's got the gold chain and the ball spin they are ready to play and they don't care what you think about them. They don't care what anybody else thinks about them. They trust their arm and their guys, and they're just going to go out and sling it. And that is exactly what you want. That's the attitude of the QB that you need. And so I think it's going to be Jaron Hall. Um, but I mean, we're coming up on, you know, there's football two weeks from Saturday. Um, you know, I did, 
I did hype. I tried my best to hype the CFL and the CFL season started last week. Uh, you know, we got Riker Matthews and Robertson Daniel, two BYU alums. They're both playing up there for BC and Toronto respectively. And, uh, you know, and there's games starting this week too, you know, all weekend long. Um, you know, usually it's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's usually Thursday and then a doubleheader Friday and then a game on Saturday or a doubleheader on Saturday and a game on Friday. But, uh, you know, there's four games a week. It's fun. You can watch it on ESPN. Um, and it's great, but there's college football two weeks from Saturday. So we're two weeks away from week zero. Um, you know, there's not a ton of great games that, you know, that first season or that first week of the season. Um, we have, you know, by August 28th, we've got Nebraska, Illinois. So there's a big 10 conference game. That's a little weird to have that. Uh, UConn at Fresno state. There's another FBS, FBS game, Hawaii at UCLA. That could actually be a fun game and maybe Hawaii does something. And uh, the prime game, I think, is uh, probably UTEP at New Mexico State, a bit of a Super Bowl, uh, if you can even find that one being broadcast anywhere, because New Mexico State has their games broadcast on Flow Sports, which is about, that's worse than the uh, 2019 UMass game was when we had to find out whatever weird channel that was on um, to watch that one. And then Southern Utah at San Jose state. I think that one may actually be intriguing just to see kind of how San Jose state looks, right? Like it was kind of a miracle season they had last year, um, you know, going and winning the beating, knocking off Boise state to win the mountain West conference championship. That was a a great year um, for them. And, you know, kind of to see what they could do and they, uh, you know, and they, just to see kind of what they're doing and kind of what Brent Brent Brennan has there. Um, you know, they lost their bowl game against ball state um, when they were in the Tucson in Arizona, in the Arizona bowl down in Tucson. Uh, but they have a lot of guys coming back. And so they, I mean, they managed to run seven and ta- seven and one ran the table. They knocked off San Diego state. They knocked off Nevada. They knocked off Boise state. Those were three pretty decent teams. And, uh, and they knocked off Hawaii on the road. It's, you know, can San Jose state do something? Cause it's, that's a program that's always been intriguing to me. It just, it's, it's not in a good place. They don't have any fan support. They're kind of forgotten about that. They live there. They're probably, I mean, you'd think what everything San Diego state is of like, oh, well, they're in a good Metro area. They should be able to, you know, have a decent team. You could probably have that with San Jose state too, but it's just the cost of living in San Jose is so high that I always wonder, you know, what are they going to be able to do to keep coaches around? Just because even you think of, you know, they can't have the money and the fan support to be paying coach a million and a half dollars a year, but comparatively living in San Jose, it's legitimately twice as expensive as living in Utah. So to view imagine say, okay, you know, relatively, you know, it's, you cut Kalani Satake's salary in half or need to double it to match it in San Jose, they're going to have a really hard time. And they just haven't, haven't really, I mean, they just haven't been good. Right. Um, and for a long time, it seems like about once every decade, they kind of, you know, things sign up for them. And so, but then usually that coach bounces, right. And they, they go like Mike, Mike, Mike McIntyre, he left and went to Colorado. Um, and he immediately after they had that year when uh, BYU lost to them in 2012, um, Jamal Williams freshman year, and he immediately went to Colorado. And now he's, you know, after kind of fading away, there is now the defensive coordinator at Memphis. Um, but Brent Brennan stuck around. He was an Arizona alum. It seemed like he, or sorry, he's a UCLA alum, but had spent some time in Arizona as an assistant coach. Um, and there was some, uh, you know, there was some, 
question and his name was getting thrown around as a potential hire for the Arizona job. And he, he decided to stick around. And so it'll be awesome. And I, I want to see what he can do. He's gone in his, this, in his four years, he's gone two and 11, one and 11, five and seven, and last year, seven and one with a conference championship. And then, uh, you know, ended up, uh, you know, finishing 24th in the polls. So uh, that is probably, you know, SUU is not a good team, but I'm just curious, San Jose state. I mean, this is a long diatribe, but San Jose state is just, it's a team that I'm curious in kind of those late night West coast games of BYU is not playing. Uh, San Jose state is just a team. I want to keep an eye on, but I think the two weeks from now, the Hawaii UCLA game should be interesting. Um, UConn is going to be a bad football program and I don't think they should get stomped by Fresno and then Nebraska, Illinois. Um, I think that's obviously the hallmark of that game. That's at the 1 PM on Fox. Um, and that's kind of the hallmark game of the weekend. I don't know, uh, Scott, for how much longer Scott Frost can get, obviously COVID was weird last year, but this is kind of the put up or shut up year. And if he, if he goes, you know, maybe seven and five, eight and four kind of sneaks out a bull win, he may buy himself another year, but if he has another sub 500 year, uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be over for him and Lincoln. And it's, it's really interesting if you think about blue bloods just in general, right? Like Nebraska was a blue blood and I kind of think they may be close to losing it. Um, and they may be the only team that's lost that blue blood status, right? If you look, think of Notre Dame, USC, Ohio state, Alabama, uh, you know, uh, Tennessee, those kind of those historically consistently decade after decade, great programs, Nebraska was up there, Oklahoma, Texas, um, and, but they've just been so bad for so long. And uh, you look at the geography and look at Lincoln, Nebraska, and you got to wonder like, is this ever going to be the same again? And I don't think that it will, um, you know, Knoxville is a great city, you know, Tennessee has been down for a decade, but you think like, well, Knoxville, it's, it's a bigger city. It's closer to Nashville. Um, you know, it's not, it's closer to a lot of other big things. It's a, it is a bigger city than Lincoln. Um, you know, and so there's more going on and more to do around Knoxville than there is in Lincoln. And you think like, okay, Tennessee, I can get them back on top plus by virtue too, just being in the sec, but Nebraska, I just have a hard time seeing them ever coming back on top. But so football college football is two weeks away. We've almost made it through the end of this off season. Uh, the off season is just, it's such a long time and, you know, we see it and it's just, it's just hard. And it's just such a long, long time for us to, uh, um, you know, it's just a long time for us to make our way through everything. And it feels like such a, just a slog and, but we are there, we're almost there. Um, and you know, we're, as we're pushing through, it's, I think we are, uh, you know, I think we're, we're getting there and we're about to make it out on the other side. Um, and so as we get into the season, I wanted to kind of take a, um, I want to take a minute just to talk about kind of the, uh, the numbers of the season. So it's, you know, I'm Jeff kind of tells me I'm the numbers guy. I'm the data guy. Um, you'll see me, I, you know, post a lot of stuff from, uh, I've got a visualization tool called MetaBase set up, um, with a ton of, ton of college football data. Um, thanks to, um, you know, thanks to the guy over who runs a college football data.com, um, pull through his API. I've got that, you know, kind of synced up and I'm pulling through a bunch of different things. He does a lot of the heavy work on the back end, and I just make it, I just make it pretty and share some things to enjoy for you all. Um, but there's a couple things I want to talk about. Um, and first I want to talk about extra points added. This is something that has kind of 
it's kind of become the gold standard de facto uh, way of measuring success. I don't know if that's necessarily the best way, but it's a way, right? Like football being a game of inches, um, being a game of inches, it's hard to quantify a lot of these things. And it's the extra points added. The initial thing um, actually goes back to Virgil Carter. And when Virgil Carter um, was a, was he, when he was in the NFL, he was also a grad student um, at Northwestern. And he was trying to get more definitive answers to the questions of how a game should be called or decisions that should be made. And he was trying to statistically quantify the game of football. And he came, you know, and he came up with the idea of extra points added. And so the concept is really simple. Um, you look at the weighted average of all the possible ways the next points could be scored. So if you have a, you know, you had a penalty, you're, you have first and 20 at your own one yard line, right? The most likely thing that's probably going to happen is you're going to go three and out. You're going to punt it away. Your opponent's going to get a decent field position. They maybe get one first down or they may not even need a first down and they'll be in field goal range and attempt a field goal. Or because they already have a good field position, they go down and they score a touchdown, right? Like your opponent is more likely to score the next time, like the next points that are scored in that exact situation are more likely to come for your opponent than you. So there's six ways of the next score happen, right? Like you can score a touchdown, you can score a field goal, you could get a safety or your opponent could score a touchdown and that'd be like negative seven. Your opponent could score a field goal. That'd be negative three. The opponent could, you could get tackled for safety, right? If you're at your own one yard line, you may get hit for safety. So that's actually probably the most likely. Um, and so you have a safety and that's negative two. So if you take the average of all of those, that's how you get what the extra points, the expected points would be. So if you say there's like, Oh, you know, there's a 45% chance that you score a touchdown. There's a 45% chance that you kick a field goal. There's 1% chance of a safety, a 3% chance of giving up a touchdown, whatever you go down them. And, you know, you do the weighted average of the, all of those. So seven points times 0.45 plus three points times 0.45 for 45% of that, two points times 1%. You go add those all, multiply those out, add it all up, and you get a number. So say like four points. And so the next play, obviously, maybe you go from having that first and 20 from your own one to you have a 40 yard pass. And now you're looking at first and 10 from your 40 yard line. Okay. Now you run through all of those same calculations again. And now instead of maybe 4.1, you have 4.9. And so you're that play added 0.8 points to you. That was the expected points added was, was that single play was worth 0.8 points. And so it, it's hard and kind of hard to visualize and hard to concept, uh, you know, kind of talk through, um, but you'll see it around. You'll see it charted a lot. And usually what it's saying is, you know, it's a, a touchdown drive is made up of a bunch of plays. And how do you quantify what each of those plays are worth? And, you know, and how do you quantify, you know, can you quantify luck where there's teams that did a lot of really good things, but just couldn't close out and just couldn't quite get into the end zone. And maybe they're doing, you know, and that, is a team that you may be bullish on. And that's kind of what we saw with 2019 BYU, right? Like they, the offense was very good and then sputtered in the end, in the red zone. And they focused on that in the off season. And then last year they came back and they were dynamite. Um, and so, um, so, you know, as you kind of move on and you kind of move up and do that, you kind of can see different things and find, you know, you can find area of the fields where areas of the field where the team struggles, um, you know, all of these extra expected point models, they are kind of like opponent adjusted. Uh, so you can kind of see 
you know, is it who is really good and who's not? And it's obviously, it's not the end all be all. Um, a lot of people it is, you know, because they can like, Oh, we do these fancy machine learnings and artificial intelligence and this and that, and these built a big old neural neural network with all these different, you know, trees and all this and that. And it's, you know, it, it really is if though, if you cut it down, you can make it very simple and all these fancy computers. And this is the most amazing thing about it is if you look at the chart of what Virgil Carter came up with versus based on just like down distance and yard line versus these fancy neural networks, they're almost identical, right? Like it's, and you're such, you're splitting hair so much that it's not worth it to me to go get these really weird things because he's got it figured out. And we just, the, um, you know, the Virgil Carter extra expected point study, just looking at it as, you know, it makes so much sense. Um, and just to keep it very simple. And that is, you know, so we may get into this in the, is the show, um, you know, as in the show this year, and we'll kind of, you know, throw around some things, but then the other thing that we'll see is a lot of it is, uh, you know, I reference because it is kind of the most complete and most holistic, and maybe there'll be other models that look at different things. Um, but Bill Connolly, uh, formerly of SB Nation, now at uh, ESPN, he has his SP plus. And he, the nice thing about this and why it's kind of the go-to for many people is because he tells you exactly what's in it. You know, he doesn't give the exact weightings, different formulas, but you know what he is looking at. And a lot of people, if you want some good entertainment, go check his mentions every Sunday morning when he re-releases the SP plus rankings, because people get mad at him. Like, oh, yours, your team, this is stupid because it ranks this one team there. And they don't understand or like, oh, this team lost and move up moved up. It's like, okay, well, if they were, if, you know, Ohio state is playing Penn state or playing Indiana and the model says that Ohio state should win by 40 and they only win by 20, that probably means that both Ohio state is not as good as we thought they were. And the other team, Indiana is probably better than we thought they were. And so they're both going to move in some direction. But he breaks down and this is, and, you know, he also, people also, the funniest thing is when they accuse him of like cooking the numbers or he is favoring as if he's going through and just kind of looking at them and saying, like, oh, I think uh, they're better. Oh, they didn't look very good against this team. So I'm not going to ignore him. It's, he's making an algorithm, right? And he, and, you know, obviously he's boiled it down to his five factors that he thinks make a difference. Uh, but he ultimately too is looking at, you know, how close can he get to the actual predicted scores? Like that's ultimately what he's testing himself against. And he's pushing and trying to say like, Hey, I want to, you know, he's tweaking things to try to say like, you know, get as close to the actual scores as possible. So if something makes it worse, he's not going to go back and look and, and say like, Oh, well, I'm going to do this because it makes Alabama look better. Or, oh, he's, I'm a Missouri fan. So I got to make sure Mizzou looks good. He's going to try to get the expected scores as close as possible. So the five factors, according to Bill Connolly, got explosiveness explosiveness and we can measure this uh with uh, yards per play or points per play uh, we can also look at efficiency um which the two ways that he looks at that are third down conversions obviously and then success rate which we're going to talk about after that field position uh which would be average starting field position um and then um, so, and that's a big one and that's kind of the luck, right? Like it's the field position. It matters because if your defense plays good and you can, you know, keep pin them, if you can play the field position game, you get in a position to where maybe you can start out in field goal range. And if you have a great kicker, like Jake Oldroyd, if you can start out on the other side of the 50, you're already 
without a first down, you have a chance at points. And when you only have, and I know our fans like are upset about the coastal Carolina game, right? Like there's in any given game, there's usually between 11 and 13 possessions for each team. That's it. Like, even when you draw the game out and make it slow, you might take off one or two, but it's still, you're not scoring on the majority of your possessions unless you're a really good offense. And so if you can, you know, if you only have 11, 12 things, but two of those possessions out of your 12, you can start in field goal range. And if you have a good kicker, that's, you know, that can be equivalent to scoring a touchdown because if you get six points out of it, um, there's also finishing drive. So looking at red, red zone scoring, um, he calculates S and P plus just limited to what you did in the red zone as well as a possible way. And also points per trip inside the 40. Um, and so that is, you know, looking at basically, do you capitalize when you get in field goal range? So if you look at the red zone of like, usually people look at red zone scoring is around like, you know, scoring touchdowns, but usually back it out to the 40, just because that's about the edge of field goal range um, to where you'd say, okay, like, well, how well do you do when you actually like, do you get points when you get into where you could conceivably kick a field goal? And the last thing is turnovers, uh, which is a lot of it is luck. It's mostly luck. Um, there is no statistical significance to creating or predictor for creating turnovers. Um, but did you create turnovers in the game? And so that can kind of, you do that and that kind of predict like where, what you should you be and how could you do? And he looks at it on play by play basis. Um, so he combines all of those and he weights them. And if you, it, the best thing kind of that you can look at with SP plus is because you can take any two teams, zero is average. So you can take any two teams. So if you see BYU is 18.3 and Utah state is minus 10.0, that means that he thinks BYU would be about a 28 or 20 and a half point favorite is what it's projecting. So you can subtract the, the, the two number, the ratings between two things and see, you know, what you think the expected line would be. Uh, if you tail that in your bets, you can be pretty successful with it. He's usually, um, you know, most weeks are pretty profitable. And so you can take a look at that and see him. And you, he's got most of his stuff is behind the ESPN plus paywall. Most of our listeners probably have ESPN plus because their kids got them sucked into buying Disney plus, And it's only in a couple extra bucks a month to get Hulu added on. So you can hop on and read all of that. Um, but let's talk about success rate. I think success rate is probably, uh, it's probably the biggest indicator I think of just if a team is good, um, because if usually it's one of those things like in baseball, when you say if guys hitting the ball hard, like they may not be getting on base, but if they're hitting the ball hard, eventually the ball is going to start finding gaps and, you know, it's going to work out. I think that's success rate for me. Um, and it's a lot simpler than EPA. So what Bill has come up with as his definition of successful is that on first down, you get 70% of the, or 50% of the needed yards. So if you have first and 10, you should get to second and five as that is a successful first down. And on second down, if you have 70% of uh, what is still needed. So if you have second and 10, you should get to second and three or, or third and three, right? You got 70% of the yards, or if you have second and, or if you have second and five, then, you know, you should be, you know, third and two or third and one, you know, and uh, moving to a convertible thing. And then on third down and fourth down, you need to be converting. And so it doesn't do it starting off of 10. So it's not specifically second and five, third and three, whatever it is. Um, it is just from the distance. So if you have a penalty and you start off it, that's because of a false start, you're at first and 15, you need to get down to second and seven to, for that to be a successful play. And then from that second and seven, uh, you know, you need to get down to three, third and two um, for that to be, um, you know, to get 70% of that remaining seven. So, um, if you look at those, like you could, 
it, the reason I think it's the best predictor is because it involves consistency, right? There's a lot of fluky things. Like you could be, um, you know, it's a measure of consistency. You could score 50 points a game and be 10% successful if you ran 100 plays super fast and your QB went eight of 100 with eight long touchdown passes. But you would definitely, like anyone watching that, would say it was luck and it didn't, you didn't have a really great game plan. Usually a long play isn't necessarily about game planning. It's more of, you know, it's either one blown assignment or, you know, someone slipped on the turf, right? Like if you have a DB slip in their man coverage and you have a receiver streaking down the sideline, that's just wide open. That wasn't necessarily a bad play call. That wasn't anything to do with your game plan. It's just something that happened. And, and those plays like that happen. So can you try to remove those out? And I, I developed a flavor of this, what I call the average scheduled yards. So it's similar to taking, um, how EPA is kind of, well, this is what the expected was points was before, and this is what it was after. I took the diff, far diff, the difference of how far off you were on that play from success. So if on first and 10, you need five yards to be successful and you got two, you, you were minus three yards from being successful. If you got 20 yards, then that was plus 15 because you got 15 more yards than you needed to kind of trigger that success flag. Um, and so I kind of came up with that and I actually talked to Bill about it and it, you know, seemed, uh, he kind of, he really liked it as well. And it kind of, it does paint a good picture. And if you look at it, you, um, you know, if you look at it, you do see the teams that were pretty decently successful and you do see the teams, you know, let's say like, you know, you can see where they're at and kind of what they look like. And it's, and it makes a good about a good amount of sense. Um, and you can see like, oh yeah, those, you know, obviously Alabama it's, you can see the, even the smaller teams too. Like you see like the app States and the Ra Louisiana raging Cajuns, the teams that ran the ball pretty well. Um, and then you can kind of break it out and say like, Oh, who had good defenses who, but a bad offense and vice versa. And you can see a lot of things. Another thing that's very important to remember. And this is something that is if you are ever looking at data and working on yourself to take out the outliers, and this is hard to do, um, because you can't really, I mean, if you have it, you can say, you know, if you have like when they pulled a quarterback, that was probably be a good signal, but that's not always a, a that's not data is not always available of when a quarterback got benched because of a big lead. So again, what Bill Connolly's come up with is 43 point, a 43 point lead in the first quarter, 37 in the second quarter, 27 in the third and 21 in the fourth. Um, and he came up with this by, he basically, he looked at run versus pass and what teams did and then found thresholds where after a certain point teams change, right? Like it's you. And so this section I'm kind of is dedicated to the Western Kentucky game for last season. At some point the game was out of hand and what is happening becomes irrelevant in terms of trying to gauge what is going on in the field. That is garbage time. So in the third quarter of the game last year, uh, Western Kentucky gave up a 10 minute touchdown drive. Everyone was mad, right? All the fans are mad, super pissed, whatever, but nobody really cared on the sideline. I mean, obviously coaches were because they don't want that happen, but it's, they're just sat in their base defense, the whole thing, because if Western Kentucky is totally content, the game was at a point where not only was BYU content sitting in their base defense and Western Kentucky knew exactly what they were going to do, but they didn't care. And Western Kentucky had zero sense of urgency to even try to make a comeback. Like that is garbage time. Like they, we did not learn anything about that 10 minute drive other than both teams had already checked out and the game was over. So if you are looking at that drive, that should not be included in future projections because the state of the game has changed. The state of the game has changed from both teams amped up and trying to win 
to, or at least one of them still in the game to both teams being content, which is letting the clock burn and really whatever happens happens. Um, and so this is play by play. So a game, you know, you can have a game that is a big lead in the second quarter chips away at in the third quarter. And then in the third, you know, and then it flips back to, you know, they get down the lead and it flips back from being out of garbage time. And you say, you know, team says, Oh, well, we better buckle down. And we kind of saw this last year a little bit with Boise state, right? Like it kind of seemed like they were a little passive. We got a little passive in the third quarter and, you know, Boise scored those two touchdowns after with that, a uh, long onside kick. And then we saw Zach Wilson come out and throw a bomb and they said, Hey, okay, we're done messing around. And then that kind of finally iced it. Um, and last stat that I want to talk about, and then we're going to get wrapped here. I know this is, this has been the nerdiest of episodes. So maybe some of our fans will enjoy this. Um, this is another one that comes from Brian Fremo, um, or Fremo, who, uh, he runs the site BCF, not BCS, but BCF toys. And this is Jeff's favorite, and this is available yards. And so it's similar. It's kind of similar to success rate, how success rate just says, you know, were you staying on schedule? Um, he, he looked at available yards and says, um, and it, it's a flashy number. And if you look it up, you quote this to a free team to be like, oh, BYU is, you know, number one in available yards at 78% or whatever it is, um, you know, you will impress your friends. And it is so simple that Jeff once referred to it as my favorite stat of all for football stats. And it's easy. When you get the ball, how far from the end zone are you? Or the defense, how far is the other team from it? And, um, and then you say like, okay, well, if you are at the, your own 20 yard line after a touchback, you've got 80 yards to go. If your drive went 70 yards and you kicked a field goal from the 10 yard line, your offense moved the ball 70 of the 80 available yards, which is 87 and a half percent last year, the BYU offense was number one in the country at this. And, um, we were number. We were number one in the country at this. Uh, it um, overall, uh, offensively, we were number two behind Alabama, seventy-one point one percent of the yards gained. So that means, right? Like it's on average if our starting field position, if our average starting field position was our own thirty-yard line with seventy yards to go, then on average, we got forty-nine point seven seven yards of drive or whatever. And so ended, um, and defensively. Uh, we were ranked number nine with 36.5. So that means, um, you know, on our defense, as much as people want to hate them, uh, our defensively, the other team only got 36 and a half percent of the yards that they were, that stood between them and the end zone every time that was ranked number nine. And so overall, um, you know, we, the net was 34 and a half. And that was number one and Alabama was number two at 32.6 and then a huge drop to Washington at 25.7. And so the, um, you know, when you look at those, it's okay. Like BYU and Alabama were pretty damn good football clubs last year. And obviously Alabama won national championship and BYU is pretty damn good too. And so these, if you look at those available yards, um, you know, that's a, along with success rate, that is a great way just to measure and see kind of, okay, where are things at and what are, who, are these teams moving the ball? And it, it kind of includes the, it's kind of great because it includes the explosiveness, but at the same time, because you're looking at it every single drive, um, it kind of, it, those explosive plays kind of get averaged out um, because there's so many plays getting worked into it. Um, and so, you know, that, that's, that's what we have here. Right. And the last thing, 
I know we talked stats specifically. I just want to talk about establishing the run. This is a very boomer take. Okay. People say you got to establish the run. And this is where you could really separate yourself from the crowd um, by being the contrarian to that person yelling behind you in the stand about how you need to run, run the ball and establish the run. The best teams run the ball well. And that's kind of it, it's a chicken and egg thing, right? Like the running the ball doesn't make you a good team but good teams run the ball because they're just bigger and better and they can push teams around and it chews the clock when they already have a lead. So it's, it, it's because it's safer. Like if you look at a box score and see like, Oh, you know, it came along, it came from looking at aggregates. Right. So you look at like, Oh, the team that rushes for more yards wins 80% of the time. Okay. But is it because they rushed the ball? Is that why they won? Or did they already have a lead and just started rushing the ball to chew the clock or, did they, were they just bigger, right? Like if you're Alabama and you're playing an FCS team, you're going to put your quarterback in a bunch of situations where you might get sacked. You don't need to have your run wide receivers running downfield, or, you know, you got a two touchdown, three touchdown lead. You're just going to start handing the ball off every single play because that is the safest, both in terms of not turning the ball over, but also balancing, chewing out the clock and keeping your players healthy. Um, and so the, the idea of establishing the run doesn't magically get you anything. It's just a sign of being better, a better team than your opponent. And so there is something though, like you do need to run the ball and you need to run the ball because it does running the ball and kind of getting after it in the trenches and offensive lineman, that does make a difference and you got to be nasty and get down there. Um, but it doesn't inherently make anything, you know, it, there's not some magic thing about running the ball. That's going to make you awesome. Because if you did that, then if that was the case, the Navy air force and army and Georgia Southern would be the three best teams in the country every year right? Cause they run the ball more than anybody. Um, and even they establish the run very well, but they don't necessarily always win. Um, so that is kind of my overview or my prep as we get into this season, um, looking at kind of some of the numbers, um, another, so if you want to find some other things, hit me up on Twitter, you can ask me, um, you know, you can, a great resources, college football data API or.com API. Um, you know, my friend, um, uh, see, I, Parker Shepard or no, um, not Parker Shepard. That's someone else totally different that I also know named Parker, Parker Fleming, um, Parker Fleming, who's stats of war on Twitter. He wrote a great guide of getting started with college football data using R if you're into R I've written a guide about doing it with Python. If you're into Python, if you go to the collegefootball.com, uh, collegefootballdata.com, you can download stuff and just look, mess around with it in Excel or put it in a Google sheet or whatever you want to there. Um, you have a lot of different options. Uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me, reach out to Jeff, hop on our discord server. We can talk about it. Um, again, you know, check out our Lorenzo Fawatea shirt at our, you go to givemhelpbrigham.com and click on store, sign up for our newsletter. And, uh, you know, we, I think it's time to bring back the hellion of the week. If you made it this far, get, shoot us a mailbag question, shoot us a hellion nomination. And uh, until next week, guys, give them hell.